Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, Solar Warrior, welcome back. This is another Tactical Tuesday conversations with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career and grow with us here on Suncast. If Thursdays are for thoughtful insight into the who of the industry, well, consider this the what, how, when, where, and why, the tools of the trade, if you will. Sometimes we bring you content for our many live broadcasts and trainings, and sometimes it is intimate one-on-one conversations like the one we're having today. Today's clean energy expert is Piper Wilder, CEO of 60 Hertz Energy. She has decades of experience with co-ops. I'm assuming you clicked listen because you want to know more about co-ops as the subject of the episode suggests. And Piper has decades of experience in just this topic. As the chair of Colorado SIA, she championed many initiatives with co-ops in that and other nearby states. In fact, in the current business, she has more than half her customers as co-ops, including the first investor in her company. So if you've ever wondered how to work with co-ops, you're in the right place. Keep listening. I'm so glad you've decided to join us again and level up your game. Remember, you can find all the resources and learn more about Piper and many other guests from Suncast by going to mysuncast.com. That's where you'll find more than 450 insightful tidbits just like the one you're going to glean today. But let's get down to business and tune up your skills, Solar Warrior. This is another practical, tactical conversation here on Suncast. Well, we're going to jump into the topic today of partnering with, understanding, approaching, strategizing, and even wooing a sector of the market that perhaps you have never thought about, perhaps you've often thought about and have no idea what the next steps ought to be. We're going to outline that for you today. But first, let me welcome Piper Wilder to Suncast. Hey, Nico. Great to be with you. It is so fantastic to see you again. I learn every time I'm on the phone with you, and that is why I'm excited about today's conversation. When you and I first met, you gave me a clinic on working with cooperatives. And I remember pausing you and saying, wait, 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 we need to record this. So I'm stoked to have you back. We're definitely excited to be able to feature more of a longer executive profile with you at another time. But for this Tactical Tuesday in this Women's History Month, I want to get down to the practical ideas that you can share about co-ops. You know, I don't want to take anything for granted for that solar warrior out there who perhaps knows nothing about it, and they're just trying to educate themselves from the bottom rung of the ladder. Can you start with defining what exactly a co-op is and how it uh, it's distinguished among the the operating utilities? Yeah, excellent, Nico. So co-ops, uh, shorthand for rural electric cooperative. In fact, if you go to the website for National Rural Electric Cooperative Association, NRECA, you'll, you'll understand a lot more. Co-ops are different from an investor-owned utility and come in two flavors, a distribution cooperative responsible for substations, poles, wires, distribution lines, 
um, and a generation and transmission cooperative that would serve a, a regional area and um, be the entity ultimately responsible for, for generating much of the energy on that grid. Finally, you have municipal electrics, and sometimes these are lumped in with co-ops, but uh, again, serving a different market. Gotcha. So muni uh, electric companies, are uh, they're often referred to as co-ops, aren't they? They can be. They can be. They might differentiate themselves as, as a muni, but they will have some of the same issues, pain points, motivations. Gotcha. Okay. Well, you mentioned, Enrica, how, how many of these kinds of organizations are we talking about here in the United States? Well, yeah, we've got over 900 uh, co-ops in the U.S. Wow. That sounds like a lot. How many utilities are there in the U.S.? So there are over 3,300 utilities in the U.S. So that puts co-ops at just over 25%. Interestingly, though, co-ops compose the majority of the land mass in the U.S. You know, thanks to the Rural Electrification Act of the 1920s, which brought power to most of this uh, of our country, um, that's really what established the precedent for rural electric cooperatives to be um, taking out loans to build the distribution network in order to bring power to the modernizing U.S. Piper, that's really interesting. I'm curious. I want to ask for those who, like me, maybe have no idea why this is relevant. What's the intended uh, importance of understanding that the distribution of utilities is heavily weighted on the land ownership side towards co-ops? Well, the co-ops will have everybody, no, everybody would have the right of way. It's just that the miles and miles of distribution line necessary to reach rural areas give that footprint. It's interconnection approval. It'll be, it'll be the transformers and substations that is, that, that will bridge that power. Um, and especially as we see larger interconnection organizations transmitting power over different, different parts of our country a greater degree of interconnection will demand interface with not only the IOUs, the larger transmission organizations, but certainly the co-ops that, that, that were running power through their lines. So I understand what a co-op is and how it's distinct in terms of where it sits within the utility structure. It's a little over 25% of the overall representation of the kinds of utilities that we have in the United States. Operationally speaking, are there structural differences in the way that they function that are different from what folks might be uh, familiar with, with the independent owned, uh, independently owned utilities, IOUs, uh, like PG&E or, uh, or Duke? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And this really gets to business development um, goals that, that a co-op would share with, um, with their, their solar installer or project developer. So first thing to be aware of, um, a co-op will have a board of directors that is elected annually from their membership. Um, the term cooperative is, is, is no mistake. It is a member organization wherein a dividend is returned to every rate payer on the system. And that, that philosophy is not just lip service, but there truly is a sense of shared responsibility, shared interest, willingness to share experience between co-ops. This is familial in a way that I don't see many parts of our society and, and certainly business development reflecting. And the result of that is, unlike an investor-owned utility, what wins a contract with a co-op has a lot more to do with relationship building, has a lot more to do with um, a conciliatory, a, a compromise-based approach in how the project is crafted and developed and really co-developed with, with your utility partner. With regards to the way they strategically plan out their resources, we know it as IRP, Integrated Resource Plan, public utilities 
have a publicly demonstrated IRP that often is three, five, even 10 years out in terms of what you can expect and what they publicly state. Many of them operate financially uh, in a way that is quite, quite a bit different depending on the jurisdiction. So I'm curious around planning and financial incentive, do the co-ops differentiate from the IOUs? In our experience, co-ops do differentiate from from IOUs, but they differentiate for one another. And so to a certain extent, this is a reflection of the state policy at the Public Utilities Commission level. Um, But of course, also in terms of the makeup of that co-op membership, um, when you look in really progressive parts of the country that are also rural, there may be co-ops like Holy Cross Electric in Colorado that has identified a very aggressive renewable target, um, 100% renewable by 2030. Um, There are others that might be happy if they get a single demonstration project on on their grid um, in coming years. And so the budget and the planning is is greatly a reflection of the membership uh, and and their goals. Yeah, that's quite a bit different. The idea that in, in the same state, you could have one who's kind of happy with trying to dip a toe in the water and the other who is whole hog, as we say here in the South. That It begs, begs the question then, um, from a biz dev perspective, is there, you mentioned relationship. Could you talk to some of the points around a strategy with, with regard to who you approach within the co-op sector, given that there are 900 co-ops and you've got to be, you know, you've got to strategically focus on something. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think first off in terms of the the door to knock on our experience has been in terms of the, the, the research, uh, finding out which cooperatives have similar goals with, with our sector, starting with the general manager, starting with the GM, um, potentially talking with members of, of the co-op board. This will be publicly, of course, listed on the website and then getting into a, a generation uh, director at, at, within the co-op. It's an important point perhaps to reference that co-ops um, that are buying the majority of their power from their local G&T or their regional G&T will not have a lot of room in that all requirements contract to be generating much of their own tech, uh, 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 electricity. So if there is an all requirements contract, then the carve out is going to be fairly modest. So for some developers, depending on you know your size and scale and expertise, then the first door to knock on really is with the GNT, as it's known, the Generation and Transmission Cooperative, because they'll have a bigger appetite and budget and plan for the amount of renewable energy and the size of those projects that they're looking to bring aboard. That doesn't mean that working with the distribution cooperative is a waste of time. Um, If anything, our sense is that many distribution co-ops are dissatisfied with the pace and scale at which the G&T is bringing on solar projects and maybe doing more on their own or finding ways to find loopholes in those all requirements contracts. If anyone is familiar with the tri-state, what's happened with tri-state over, over the last uh, decade, you can certainly see the leverage that the distribution co-ops put on the GNT to, to accomplish more. So our sense is business development wise. Well, I want to pause yeah. you. I want to pause you for a second. Can you, for those who aren't familiar, could you give one quick anecdote of the, of the kinds of pressure that you were referring to? Oh yeah. Okay. A really great example. So of the tri-state serves a three-state region, as you would expect, and um, co-ops in Colorado, to a great degree, became so dissatisfied with the the sluggishness with which Tri-State was willing to retire coal assets and bring on uh, more renewables 
that a cohort of five in particular, five co-ops in particular, threatened to sue to leave their contract if there wasn't more room for them to either add that generation on their own, renewable generation on their own, or force Tri-State to make that decision. And as a result, Tri-State ultimately has has had a real about face. In fact, for those that maybe tuned in 10 years ago versus viewing where where Tri-State is today might be surprised it's the same entity. Hey, you know, it's becoming commonplace to hear that energy storage is the key to deploying renewables at scale. But if you've tried to put storage on a commercial solar project ever, then you realize it's easier said than done until now. Look, I've seen many energy storage solutions for commercial buildings as a solar project developer in my 15 years in the industry, but Yada Energy's storage product just scratches that developer itch of fit, function, and ease to install. Yada's PV-coupled ecosystem of solar plus storage solutions integrates seamlessly right behind the solar panel. In fact, it elegantly replaces the need for a ballast as it nests right into the racking on a flat roof install. Even better, Yada's integrated storage technology can enable up to 60% more solar to be employed on commercial buildings. With commercial buildings consuming 35% of electricity, that means that Yada is finally helping business owners and solar installers alike make a serious dent in the commercial sector's massive carbon emissions. Yada Energy is poised to meet the growing demands of electrification by maximizing solar plus storage without taking up additional valuable commercial real estate for your customers. To find out how Yada Energy can bring storage to your CNI rooftop project, visit mysuncast.com forward slash Yada. That's Y-O-T-T-A. Yada Energy, an elegant and revolutionary approach to solar plus storage. Hey, I know you are a savvy listener. Heck, you're listening to Suncast and you've probably, as a result, heard of a little company called SunGrow. If you're not using SunGrow inverters on your projects, I would love to better understand why. They are the inverter of choice for many of the EPCs that I know. SunGrow is the number one in gigawatts deployed. They've got the top bankability in the industry. Heck, Solve uses them for the majority of their projects. And you may not even know, but SunGrow has the largest R&D team in the power electronics industry. These three key points alone have convinced most of the major U.S. developers to prefer SunGrow. They now experience a diversified supply chain, local service team, patented containerized product, all with their seamless pain-free commissioning. Look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So why spend all of your cycles on what inverter to use when the largest EPC in the land has already done the heavy lifting for you? You can have their same experience for your projects. See how at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. It sounds like these are probably decisions that take a little bit longer time horizon from a biz dev play. Can you talk a little bit about the investment required for a developer who wants to go into the co-op market? Mm-hmm. We're pegging that at 18 to 24 months of business development. Everyone can see a salesperson coming and no one likes it, no matter what sector we're in. But I'd say it's even more profound um, in the co-op space. 
um, that a, a traditional sales cycle is going to be elongated. And I think that's probably okay. I think that similarly, the co-op is looking for a long-term relationship that consultative sales, that being on the sidelines, offering perspectives um, and advice is, is far more valuable than the, the handshake backslap, quick close the deal approach. Just so I'm clear, when you say 18 to 24 months, what is it that's achieved in that time? In that business development cycle, you would expect the contract um, to, to be executed, whether it be for a demonstration project, frankly, in the parking lot of that co-op. We've seen a lot start that way, small scale, less, you know, two, 250 kW, if not smaller, just so the co-op starts getting comfortable. The same could be with a battery energy storage agreement. It's simply a demonstration project early days, all the way up to, um, a, to a fallen interconnection agreement and power purchase agreement, whatever that might look like. I guess, lastly, the thing that's really important for folks to understand is where the market differentiates ownership and sort of operational structure of these assets. It's quite a bit different if you're selling electricity versus projects to a large IOU than it is to a co-op or a muni. muni. So with regard to kind of ownership structure and how they want to work with the asset, can you help folks understand the, the granularity of that? The way co-ops like to do business, I think, first off, really depends on who the co-op is serving. Um, an example would be if they have a utilities privatization contract with a military base, for instance, where reliability or a demonstration microgrid are, are going to be important goals. Similarly, if the co-op has a view for ultimately owning renewable assets and they want to demonstrate and partner with a developer early days um, in order to gain that, that experience and learning, um, that could be another approach that would satisfy the co-op's own goals. You know, finally, I think there's really, there's something to the concept that we may only have 10 years left on the power purchase agreement when it comes to utilities. There are voices in our sector that would say um, co-ops will never want to own these assets and will forever shift the liability onto a developer, project, project owner. I think there are other perspectives that identify co-ops will become more and more comfortable with solar generation technology. Why would they forfeit that, that profit um, that they would rather return to their members? And it's eminently a space in terms of service, especially that they can take ownership over and, um, and manage. It's also an asset that down the road they can dispossess profitably, right? It's not something that is an unknown quantity anymore. You're absolutely right. I hadn't thought about that. Like they can build, own and operate for 15 very profitable years and then sell the whole asset to someone else who comes in and repowers it and sells them power for a fraction of what it's, they're getting it at now. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. There's a ton of value in repowering plants already, as we know, but we don't have time and space to go into that detail of a conversation. So Piper, I hear you loud and clear. There's sounds like there's a lot of opportunity and there certainly is a broad lack of understanding of how co-ops uh, work. To bring it on home, I'd love for you to just put a pin in your thesis of why it is increasingly important for developers to better understand and integrate their plan with regards to co-ops, which are, uh, as we've discussed, more than 25% of the electric distribution opportunity in the United States. 
Yeah, I think I think from I think the you know the only other point I'd want to make is that from a long term standpoint that I think it's inarguable it's just a law of physics that we will see a lot more large scale solar projects in rural areas, and that everything from the maintenance of these assets in terms of adjacency to agricultural lands, which create different kinds of soiling on modules, um, to the uh, the strength of bandwidth in rural areas, which also will impact comms to the site, to the kinds of dust storms and weather events that will be impacting long-term operations of sites, um, that, that, that rural places, rural people, and solar uh, is is well worth investing in everyone's learning curve as of, as well as building those relationships, positive relationships uh, with our co-ops. Nico, there's there's one other thing, and that is if anyone is living in a co-op service territory, then seriously considering a run for that co-op board is one of the most impactful ways that each of us can contribute to increasing the amount of solar in the United States that co-op boards are very powerful and often completely overlooked and the elections are largely unadvertised. But we've really seen ways in which having a greater voice in the governance of a co-op can radically shift the renewable percentage. I love that you saved the best for last and that that the final point is that of advocacy, that of our own as an industry, individual responsibility. Uh, that we can be the the standard bearer within our own community. And many, many, many more of us are living in rural areas that are being served by rural electric cooperatives and increasingly so. And so I love that parting note that we have an obligation to to help create on the policy side the kind of environment that we want to see in on the business development side. And it's a time-honored tradition that every other industry has uh, enjoyed as well. So why not us? Piper Wilder is the founder and CEO of 60 Hertz Energy. She is an expert on working with cooperative electric utilities. And if you have led, listened thus far, you, my friend, are much smarter today than you were yesterday, especially on this one topic. Piper, thank you for joining us on Suncast. I look forward to having you back. Right on, Nico. Thank you. Well, there you have it, Solar Warrior. I hope that you feel informed, entertained, inspired. I certainly am. I enjoyed that conversation with Piper Wilder of 60 Hertz Energy. She really does understand that space so well. And that's the beauty of these Tactical Tuesdays, my friend. I bring you subject matter experts. Domain authority is the name of the game. And if you have any further questions, I forgot to ask Piper how she could be contacted, but you can go to 60 Hertz Energy. It's 60hertzenergy.com. You can also find her and her company's information, including her LinkedIn, which I know is one way that you can communicate with her over on the show notes at mysuncast.com. That's where we have all of the information that we usually curate and collect on your behalf during these interviews so that you can follow up on it after the interview. Do you ever go there? Do you ever check it out? I hope that you do because we put a lot of resources there, not just for this interview, but for all 450 plus interviews that we've done so far. And I hope that you're enjoying this Women's History Month. Fantastic female cast of inspired women entrepreneurs and leaders in our clean energy industry. 
so many who have been gracious with their time and also with their intellect and genius to help build these companies that are helping our energy transition. I hope you are subscribed to the show so that you will be notified when Thursday's episode comes out. It's another long form executive profile as we tend to do on Thursdays and come back again next week for our Tactical Tuesdays. We're here twice a week helping you take charge of your career in the clean energy industry. If you've been wondering how you could partner with Suncast as a sponsor so that your name is mentioned just like SunGrow and Yada and other wonderful companies that have partnered alongside us to make this content free for you every single week. Well, you can head over to mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also where you can check out the offers and information for our existing and past sponsors. Learn how you can communicate every week to climate champions and solar warriors just like yourself. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.